I'm Ryan Lightfoot Brown of Fun Gallagher, and welcome to the podcast Investing on the Go. We're joined today by Tom Slater, manager of the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Thank you very much for joining us, Tom. That's great to be here. Um, can you tell me a, a little bit about the long-term trends that you're seeing um, in your investments in the portfolio? Well, so much of what goes on in markets is about whatever today's headline is. Um, and, you know, we go from being experts in trade negotiations to, um, to, to predicting the impacts of tsunamis to, to, to the outcomes of, of, um, of military confrontations. Um, but actually, I think a lot of those things are a, extremely hard to predict. Um, there are already a lot of very clever, very well-paid people who are, who are trying to do it. Um, and, and actually, a lot of them are just unpredictable. Um, and so for us, we, we, we try to focus more on um, long-run underlying trends, which um, actually do seem completely predictable. Um, so, for example, Moore's Law, um, but also, you know, if you look at developments in telecommunications networks and the this, this speed of, of, of moving data around the world, um, if you look at um, the cost of generating energy from solar panels, it's been on an exponentially declining curve. If you look at the cost of energy storage, storage and batteries, it's, it, again, it's on this exponential cost decline curve. And none of these things are really driven by inventions or technology breakthroughs. They're driven by the application of scale and capital. Um, and in that sense are, are actually really quite predictable. And so what we focus on is saying, well, if you have some of these trends, which are almost goes so far as to say inevitable, you know, what are the consequences of that? You know, if if we if we know that um, you know, what we're able to do with computer vision will be vastly better than it is today in five years' time, if we know that batteries will be substantially cheaper than they are today in five years' time, um, why would you bet against the fact that we'll move to electrification of the transport fleet? Um, you know, why would you build um, new coal-fired power stations today um, if, if you know that the cost of competing forms of energy generation will be substantially lower in five years' time. Um, and so actually thinking through you know, which of the companies that are either benefiting from these changes or, in fact, if you look at much of the portfolio, driving these changes um, and building that future, we, you know, we think that is a, is a really good way to generate um, performance for your for your clients. And um, batteries is perhaps one area we haven't really seen a huge amount of change in the original technology for perhaps its inception to date. Um, if that's going to be a big thing in five years' time, do we need a, a revolution? Is it, or is it going to be an evolution of of like you said, things going at scale? Yeah, I think I think the latter. Um, you know, if you look at um, the progress that Tesla have made in electric vehicles, and I think this is a great example. You know, electric vehicles aren't going to come about because the technology somehow was ready and had, had met its time. They've come about because of one company and one leader who has pushed through that revolution in electric vehicles and really demonstrated what you what you could do with this technology. 
know, it, the, you, the, the response from the traditional automotive industry has been cumbersome and slow. I'm sure it will come. I hope it will come. Um, but it's, you know, the, the change has been driven by a disruptive company pursuing a different model. And even when they launched the Model S, the luxury sedan, um, it didn't really ring alarm bells across the industry. It was the launch of the Model 3, the mass market vehicle. And suddenly they took a 400,000 pre-orders in the space of three weeks in the most profitable category of product in the car industry. And that's when the boardrooms in Detroit and, and Munich woke up to the fact that we actually have to implement this change. Um, and so now where do you go from here? Well, you know, if you look at Tesla's Gigafactory, um, which, which is a huge facility um, producing the, 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 the battery cells to, to, for their electric vehicles, um, you know, it, it, in one facility, it will match the entire world output of, of lithium-ion battery cells at, at the point of the commissioning of the factory. Um, you know, so so you, you do that sort of step change in scale and it brings down costs. You drive efficiencies in the supply chain. Small things like you no longer have to pay um, import tariffs on, on bringing these, these cells over from Japan. That's 2% out of your cost chain immediately. Um, but, but there's all sorts of other ways of driving efficiency when you have that scale. And, you know, will there be breakthroughs in, in chemistry and material science? You know, I, I'd be fairly optimistic that there will. But... You don't need those. You you need to drive scale, and and that's what that's what we've seen. That's what's driven this this significant improvement in range and performance that you've seen over the over the past five years. Um, and and I I think it's pretty predictable that with continued progress, continued scale, improvements in software, that you you follow that type of trajectory, and I and and that progress will be much much faster than you see in traditional internal combustion engines. So the relative position of the two, I think, changes really quite dramatically on a five or 10 year view. And perhaps one of the other technologies we see is going to make a huge change is the invention or the implementation of 5G. Um, do you uh, sort of have any view on where the winners are going to be on that? Or is it going to be such a big change that, that it's more about just getting any exposure? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question. And um, I think... It's it's hard to say at this point. Now, if you look at you know, if you look at the the progress that's been made in improving speed, decreasing latency in these networks, what we've seen to date is that that but the value that's come from that has accrued to services companies. You know, it's it's Facebook, it's Alphabet, it's Alibaba, it's Tencent, it's the companies that provide the services we consume through these faster data pipes. Um, it hasn't generally been in, in, in anything like the same way the, the providers of the infrastructure. Um, so you know, the, the question then is, for me, is do you think there's anything that will change that, that trend of the, the, the value accruing to services? And then who do you think will provide those services? Now, you know, I, I think it's, it's reasonably predictable that these big audience aggregation platforms will continue to do well and will be big beneficiaries of faster speeds. But I think it also opens the door and, and creates opportunities for a whole host of other businesses. Um, so, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll see the impacts of that really broadly. I think the companies that will be, be most challenged by it are those that aren't preparing to take advantage of the new data speeds that we'll see. Okay, and uh, we touched on you touched on Moore's law um, at the beginning about the the cost of computing power every eighteen months. Um, now, just 
sort of 10, 12 years ago, we didn't even have um, sort of the computer power you're talking about. I mean, what most people be listening to now on their mobile phones. Do you think um, this is going to get exponentially faster or do you still think that sort of 18 months timeline is, is going to continue? Um, I think that the whole industry generally is geared around it continuing at this rate. That's, that's the investment cycles. That's the way the industry works. I think um, if you... I, th I think a different way of looking at it is to say, you know, in the abstract, Moore's law is this concept which we, we can't really relate well to. But think about it in the context of the retail industry. If I have a physical store, what I can do today in terms of merchandising my products is pretty much what I could do 10 years ago. You know, at the margin, there maybe has been some improvement, but it hasn't changed dramatically. But if you look at the shop front of an online retailer today versus 10 years ago, there's dramatic change. Um, the, the resolution of the screens, the precision of the images, the detail that you can see, you know, the fact that you don't have to sit down at a, a terminal with a big cathode ray tube monitor to look at it. It's, it's a sleek device that you pull out of your pocket that you have with you all the time, that you can have real-time alerts that can that can use artificial intelligence to, um, to project the clothes onto you that can recognize your face. The, the retail experience has got better and better. And it's that real world manifestation of the, of the progress in, in clock speeds and, and, and technology that has really shifted the industry. Now we're some way into that in, in retail, but I think it has much, much further to go. There's, there are still big categories to unlock, but it's all sorts of other industries that, that are now starting to experience that change. Um, and whether that's connecting devices that have historically not been connected to one another, um, collecting data from sensors across a, a broad swathe of, of, of services and driving the services more efficiently. Um, healthcare, a huge one that, that, again, has been relatively slow to change in reaction to new technologies. But we think particularly the progress that's been made in sequencing and driving down the cost of, of genomic sequencing um, will, will create massive new opportunities. And are there any other major trends that you're tapping into in the fund? Um, well, we'll stick with that one, for example, in, in genomics. Right? This is, you know, what we're used to in healthcare is that costs go up every year for, for procedures, for tests, for, for doctors, for insurance. The one big exception to that has been the cost of genomic sequencing, which has fallen a millionfold in the past decade. Um, and that's driving massive progress in our understanding of the molecular basis of disease. Um, it's creating the opportunity for a whole new different therapeutic pathways. And, and we've, seen, we've seen lots of new drugs enter the clinic, um, which have the opportunity to make a real difference for patients, often based on companion diagnostics. So, so, so not just trying to give the same drug to everybody, but matching the drugs to the people who will benefit the most from them. Um, but we also see it in, in, in some of the, the different services that you, that you might be able to provide. So one of our holdings is, is Grail, um, a company which does um, blood tests for cancer. And this is something we've never been able to do before because the costs of doing it being prohibitively high, um, it's, it's not as specific as, as, as doctors would have wanted. But as you follow this trajectory of rapidly improving accuracy, rapidly um, declining cost, you create this new market, which we, we think will have the potential to be hundreds of, of billions of dollars in the future. Um, so that's, that's one area that I think is quite exciting. Another would be um, in, in, the, in the field of autonomous machines. 
know, that we, we've achieved a scale of compute power that we can now, um, we can now drive autonomy into, into some of the devices that we use. Now, the, the most high profile and controversial one at the moment is, is in the automotive industry. Um, and I think that's becoming a reality right now. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the, the real questions are going to be about, about the regulatory frameworks and how that's governed. Um, but, but a less controversial example would be our holding in Zipline, who make um, autonomous aircraft. Um, now, Zipline's autonomous aircraft are um, now delivering um, blood to patients in need in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, these, the supply chains historically have been really challenged in that part of the world because the issue with, with a short shelf life product with, like blood is either you store it centrally and reduce wastage or you, you store it at the points of need, but then you, you get huge wastage because you have, to keep, you have to keep a stock at all these endpoints and you don't know where you're going to need it. What Zipline allows um, is that you centralize uh, the, the storage of blood, but then you can bypass the, the difficult infrastructure and actually get these products really quickly to the places that they're needed. And they've, they're saving hundreds, if not thousands of lives already um, by using autonomous, autonomous aircraft in this instance to deliver these products. They're expanding rapidly by geography, but also in terms of the types of product that they're, they're delivering. So it's not just blood. Something like the rabies vaccine, you know, it has a very short shelf life. You need to give it to a patient within 24 hours of them um, contracting the, the disease. Um, so again, it makes real sense to store it centrally and, and distribute it. Um, so I, I think that's another really interesting area that's, that's actually moving very quickly. Well, Tom, that's been really, really very interesting. Thank you very much for, um, for listening. Um, I've been Ryan Lightfoot-Brown, and if you'd like to listen to more of our Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe to Fun Calibre.